All right, Richard, so you finally saw The Phantom Menace. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would have been. I was expecting to absolutely just hate this movie. Um, I can't say I liked it. I can't say it was good, but it had more good parts than I expected. Okay, I think that we consider that damning with faint praise. (laughs) Uh, Very faint praise. Well, I mean, I had said in a previous Star Wars podcast that I had I have not seen The Phantom Menace since I saw the theater in 1999. And, you know, I've seen like it on TV or whatever and watched a couple minutes of it, but but I've never actually sat down and watched the entire yeah. movie and never seen like large parts of it. So, so this is the first time that I've seen The Phantom Menace in 16 years, over 16 years. And you're right, it's not as bad as I remembered it, but it's not good. And I think it's interesting to you know, I think a lot of what this episode of Trek About Presents is going yeah. to be about is exactly how it's bad and and where it goes wrong. Because there yeah. is some good stuff in it, but... I feel like every time the movie is starting to get good... I mean, the overall plot of the movie is fine. I actually liked the overall, you know, storyline of it. If you gave me a summary... Although, I, I will... I have to interject here. When we sat down to watch The Phantom Menace... Uh, uh, as soon as the crawl started and it's like the trade federation, blah, blah, blah. Richard just burst out laughing. Yeah. I mean, Cause it's like the most boring, like, you know, what have we seen? We've seen, you know, the empire, you know, is trying to take over and, you know, and they're attacking a ship and we see, you know, Darth Vader is searching for, you know, Luke Skywalker and, you know, they're rebuilding the death star and Luke's trying, it's all these exciting things. And here it's, you know, pretty much a CNN crawl. It's it's not a good opening. No. Like it's it's okay, but it's also boring in weird ways. It doesn't make a ton of sense. You know, the the players involved in the original Star Wars were clear from like yeah. moment 1 and the crawl told you exactly what was going on. You know, this is like I don't this even know. This trade federation, we never really know what exactly or who exactly they are, you know, and it's like, and they're kind of the main villain for this, you know, the the emperor is, you know, starting to rear his head, you know, yet, I mean, the whole movie feels like a prologue in a way. I It's surprising that this would be a movie, this is the kind, because it's very backstory for the most part. I mean, it's it's kind of how Obi-Wan got involved in this entire that I mean, from what I take into this is, you know, how did Obi-Wan get involved in the Star Wars story? Well, here it is. He was, you know, he, he and Anakin have this, you know, connection through this Qui-Gon Jinn. And, you know, it's Obi-Wan's backstory. It's Anakin's backstory, you know. This is the kind of thing that you would think would be covered in a novel. You know, it's it's, <laughs> I, it's interesting in its way, you know. Oh, okay, let me get some more background. Who was Obi-Wan's teacher? You know, maybe I'm interested in that kind of thing. But... Is in, Maybe. <laughs> for the first Star Wars movie in 15 years, it's this? I guess yeah. that's this, – this movie, I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, but it would have felt like a huge letdown. Yeah, I kind of feel like I, – I, I'm with you. I think that, that you know, I don't remember much about uh, Attack of the Clones, the second one. I know that it takes place, I think, 10 years after yeah. um, because Anakin is quite a bit older. So so that's, that's part of it too, I think, where I look at this and I say, I think you're right, you know – would this have been a stronger trilogy if it had started out with, you know, a 20-year-old Anakin being trained yeah. by Obi-Wan? You know, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. But but I think that, that this movie – you know, it's funny because um, there's these uh, uh, alternate watching orders for the Star Wars yes. trilogies. And uh, a lot of them say to, to skip The Phantom Menace entirely because – 
the the events of this movie don't matter at all to the next two movies. Yeah. They're never mentioned. Uh, Jar Jar Binks is in the second one briefly, and I think he has like one line in the, th- in the third one. Yeah, I read it was the article on Machete Order. It call, it's called. Yeah, and um, and I can kind of I can kind yeah. of see that. Yeah, I mean, the events of this movie really could be recapped very briefly. You know, just that. Oh, you know, my ma- you know Obi Wan has to say my master found him, but then was slain by a you know by by a Sith. We're trying to find the other Sith now, and you know Anakin is in my care. You know, that's that's pretty much that. And Anakin knew. You know, Queen Amidala, you know, when they were young. That's, I, you know, that that's pretty much the events of this movie, right? Like, Pre- pretty much, yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because the, the movie is, you know, you can just step back for a second because I think on the, on the sort of like meta level of the movie, it's really weird because it, 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 this is obviously a much more childish movie than the first three. Like, Star Wars was simple. Star Wars was a very, very um, generic action story or adventure story in a lot of ways. But it didn't feel geared to, uh, you know, a child watching it in the same way yeah. that The Phantom Menace does. You know, and I, and I have heard criticisms of this movie basically say, this movie is not for adults. This movie is for children. Uh, which is, frankly, I think that's bullshit. Because, yes, the movie has a lot of, ch- you know, childish parts. It does yeah. feel like a children's movie in some places. But at the same time, there are a lot of scenes with adults you know the the entire thing about taxation and the trade federation. Yeah, I mean the entire. That's not interesting to children. The most the 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 real meat of this plot is Palpatine. You know, manipulating the situation so no matter what he makes a huge grab for power in the Senate. You know, along the way, you know they happen to be an Anakin Skywalker. That's you know what we get from this movie. Right. I mean that. That is a fairly subtle plot. I can, you know, see the, uh, you know, it really is until the end of the movie, you know, that, you know, everything really does get clear. You know, again, it's it's very subtle, this whole vote of no confidence thing, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, a kid's not going to get it. It just seems like, I mean, I, I was joking at one point that this is three different movies, but in a way, this is kind of three different movies. You know, it's it's three different movies, and it's also, it's also extremely opaque because... It doesn't explain anything. And that, yeah. that's that's the weirdest part yeah. of it is like if this was supposed to be a children's movie, I can kind of see that. But at the same time, you know, the movie presumes a, frankly, a fluency with Star Wars yeah. that I think is weird. Like it never explains what Jedi are. It never explains, you know, who any of these people are. Um, it doesn't explain what the Sith are. It doesn't really explain. Like it, it, it doesn't explain anything. Yeah, it's not a good way to begin. You know, I mean, which it's a prequel. I mean, it's it's prequels are intended in a way, you know, come out later and they reference, you know, events from earlier things, you know, so certainly. But I guess what I would say is, though, like the. If you cut out all of the Jar Jar shit and, you know, it would not feel as childish of a movie. It would feel along the lines and tone of the other movies because, you know, I mean, we have some R2-D2 C-3PO action and that's where, like, the original Star Wars gets a lot of its comic relief, you know, from the non-human characters. If you cut off the Jar Jar thing, it doesn't seem like as childish of a movie and so it almost seems like they made this – what I think is very interesting is a lot of Jar Jar is just kind of parallel to what ends. You know, he's the way scenes end for the most part. You know, they'll have a, you know, two adults will be having a real conversation about something, you know, that actually matters. And then, you know, when they're done talking, you know, Jar Jar will come in and, oh, Misa Fall. And, you know, here, and 
so you know, giving the giving the the giving the kitties a little something to watch, you know, from the. But that's not how people watch movies, you know. In in other words, you're not you're only going to be watching half of the movie and turning out tuning out the other half. Anytime Jar Jar was on screen, I tuned it out because it was it was horrible. Well, I mean, frankly, Jar Jar is embarrassing, and yeah, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I, I don't. Jar Jar is as bad as everyone says. I, I mean, you know, I I didn't. It, I figured it would have been an exaggeration. You know, all right, he's for you know. Everyone hates Ewoks, but I love the Ewok sequences. You know, so I figured he was along the. No, it's 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 terrible. It's you know, Jar Jar Binks is obviously George Lucas's creative instincts in their exact work worst place. Like, if you you know, we've we've talked about sort of how George Lucas kind of has. Uh, you know his his creative instincts go in weird ways sometimes in bad directions sometimes yeah. and you know uh, Star Wars it worked fine I think that 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 you know Empire of you know Return of the Return of the Jedi and the Empire Strikes Back he had other people that were having creative input into the story and the dialogue and everything and kind of smoothed out a lot of George Lucas's worst creative impulses and you know with the Phantom Menace what you have is you know George Lucas with um you know 22 years basically of star wars money and he writes and directs this by himself yeah. it's 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 a testament to the fact that george lucas is probably a better he's kind of like i mean you know we kind of compared him to gene roddenberry a little bit in one of these episodes yeah. and i think in a lot of ways that's right i think that both gene roddenberry and george lucas are best when they're in the sort of caretaker role, when they're there to give guidance, when they're there to, you know, kind of mediate disputes and that kind they're of thing. They're brilliant producers. They're not great directors. They're not great directors. Well, they're, you know, George, well, they're not great creators, I don't think. I yeah. don't think that George Lucas is a, he's a fine director. I mean, I don't have a problem with the direction of this movie. I mean, it's kind of generic, but whatever. But I think that as a writer, he's horrible. And I think that, you know, Gene Roddenberry as a writer generally was not great. So there's that kind of thing going on. And I think that what you see in The Phantom Menace is just George Lucas saying, you know what? I have control of this. I have total control of this movie. And here's what you're going to get. And what we get is, frankly, a mess. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it... I... A lot of it feels – I mean even the CG feels very unrestrained and everything is just kind of there but just has no heart or soul to it. Like that that's the – there is – it's very cartoony. I mean there was a physical – there is a physicality to the practical effects that's absolutely lost here. And so, you know, you can have these, you know, Jar Jar doing pratfalls and fart jokes and we're going to have a long pod – pod – we're going to have a long podcast. We're going to have a long pod <laughs> – Pod racing sequence. Strap you know. yourself in, folks. We're in for a three-hour podcast. Hour five, and then Jar Jar <laughs> fucking goes. No, um, you, you didn't hear, but I mean, yeah, I, no, this I, is a very unrestrained movie. No, I and, know exactly what you mean. And you know, the thing that struck me about a lot of the special effects in in the Phantom Menace are. They, you know, the practical effects, for the most part, you're right. They have a physicality to them. People, the, the actors in the movie are actually interacting with physical yeah. objects. You know, my problem with a lot of the special effects in The Phantom Menace, number one, is that, you know, I, I kind of joked when we were watching the movie. It was like, you know, our, our, our Liam Neeson and, and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Are they in the same room ever? Like, <laughs> they, they feel like they're not talking to each other. They feel like they were... Um, you know, recorded in different rooms. And I think that, you know, part of it is like when they're talking to Jar Jar Binks and they're looking at Jar Jar Binks, but it's not quite right yeah. because, you know, it, it obviously Jar Jar Binks is not real. And so they weren't actually talking to Jar Jar Binks. They were talking to a guy in a motion capture suit. 
And, and, and especially know, this was also 90. I mean, even movies that do this now are a little better with it. But, you know, this was kind of one of the first movies to use that that extensively. So, yeah. But I think it's one of those. Yeah, it is one of the movies to use these kind of CGI effects this extensively. I mean, there are entire sets that are green screens, yeah. you know, and I think that you get you can tell. I mean, certainly the special effects for the most part, I think, hold up OK. But, but it's like we see huts. And in in the in Return of the Jedi, I mean, whatever you think about the Jabba the Hutt sequences, I mean that that's some masterful puppetry on on, on Jabba himself. I mean, he looks disgusting. He you can tell exactly how this being smells. You know what it is right. like to be. You know, and we just see him, and he's a cartoon in this. You know, it's, well, the, it's it's there's none of the the problem. The problem with the CGI in the Phantom Menace is twofold. Number one, it is you know late '90s CGI, yeah. so it is kind of shiny. You know, there there's just not. Yeah. The level of, I mean, frankly, I don't think it was possible to make, you know, sort of dirty looking computer graphics at this point. You know, the other part of it is that, you know, when the the, the computer generated characters or when the computer generated scenery or, or whatever is composited with live people, it does allow for a bit of a context. And even if the the even if the computer generated stuff doesn't look real or, you know, photogenic, um photorealistic I should say mm. the context with the real people kind of tricks your brain into you know kind of rounding it up right yeah, in yeah, a yeah. sense and that's I think that works okay but the problem is when you get things like the pod race scenes where there's no actual live people there's no actual physical objects like seen in this seen in these shots it look. I mean, it looks fr- flat out like a cartoon. Like, yeah, it, you know, it looks like a video game without a video game. This movie, like, I I think these would be, you know, I, to me, watching CG characters and seeing CG environments isn't a visual treat for me because I play a lot of video games. This is kind of what I do every day. So seeing it in a movie is kind of like, oh, that's it. Like, it's not as big of a spectacle. And again, part of it is maybe in 1999, you know, in the theater, this was more of a spectacle. I, yeah, but I think still, it was. But still, like, the original Star Wars still looks cool. The, you know, the fa- Battle of the Death Star at the end still looks really cool, you know? Well, I think, I you know, I think that the problem, especially with the early parts of the movie, you know, are that the the scenes kind of feel like video game cutscenes that have yeah. been divorced from the context of the gameplay. Like, you know, things are lurching along in, in sort of abstract fashion, and characters are sort of talking at each other in these in these CGI-created sets. And none of it feels real. None of it has any weight. You know, the the, the, spe- the scenes, especially early on, don't seem to connect to each other in any way. And it just feels like a mess. I mean, I think it does even out as the movie goes on. But those early scenes really feel just, just contextually lost. You know, here... It's interesting because the, this movie does all is also somewhat episodic in the way that, you know, we, we, we talked about that for the original Star Wars and all of that. Um, see, in that, you know, comparing it to the original Star Wars is interesting because, you know, as the original trilogy went on, the characters became more of more characters than archetypes. You know, in the first, you know, Obi-Wan is the wise old man. Luke is the, you know, young, you know, hero, you know. Leia is the brave princess, Han Solo is the swat, you know, all of these things. So, yes, you know, if you're if we're telling a simple story that's, you know, very archetypally done, that's okay, you know. But here it's like they're trying – they give – they don't give the characters much more depth than 
the original Star Wars had, and yet they're not archetypes in this in this movie. You know, what? Who is who is Qui Gon Jinn? Like, yeah. I have no idea. Like, and that's the problem. There's no character here. Like, you know, for for the for a large part, the characters are important because they're in the movie, yeah. and that's just not a good enough reason. And 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 in some other ways, like, I mean, I Palpatine is interesting, and you know, he, you know, he has this. He is manipulating. This is. You know, this movie is essentially one of his first huge power grabs and one of the major steps on the way to eventually becoming Emperor. But here's the thing. In Empire Strikes Back, we see the Emperor as this terrifying hologram, and then he's this just evil force, this presence in the third movie. And here he's a senator who's essentially, you know, manipulating politics to, you know, it kind of undermines, you know, the... Uh, it, it undermines the character a little bit because, you know, in a way it makes it more realistic and in a way which I find undercuts the power of the original trilogy. You know, he, Luke defeating the Emperor, you know, L- L- Luke convincing his father to defeat the Emperor and redeeming his father, that's a triumph of good over evil. You know, that is something very, you know, again, the early movies, sure, they are very black and white, you know, and all of this. Here it's... Again, adding a realism to it, we you know it doesn't matter in the original series what in the original trilogy what the empire is, who the emperor is. It's just this kind of being. It's just this you know symbolic you know character almost. Um, and here you know he's a man who's trying to you know take power. And again, I think that that you know I, I mean I kind of agree with you and I kind of disagree with you. Yeah, I, I mean it goes I, both ways. I, I mean can, they are trying to be about different things, but yeah, I mean I can see it being kind of a letdown, but at the same time, I think that it's fine. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't have much of an opinion about that, no. but I think that that you know what what that makes me think of is when we were talking earlier and saying you know does this movie even need to exist? And I think that if you look at this movie and say you know what if you just wipe this out and if 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 you know, George Lucas had created the, th- the trilogy starting with, you know, a 20-year-old uh, Anakin, you know, being yeah. trained by Obi-Wan. You would get rid of a lot of this stuff. I mean, you know, you don't really need to know. At that point, I don't even remember much of Attack of the Clones, but I'm assuming that Palpatine is the chancellor at that point. And, you know, at that point, he's been in power for, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. So he can sort of, like, chew the scenery and he can be a bad guy and he doesn't need to pretend to be a normal person. I mean, frankly, if you want to you know, cause more of parallels between the two trilogies have have Anakin starting off at Luke's age, you know, and, you know, kind of ending his trilogy at this at, you know, in his early 20s, you know, as well. And, you know, but his journey, you know, he makes the wrong decisions. He's advised poorly. He, you know, turns. He is weak minded, you know, to contrast to Luke, who does turn out to be strong and heroic and noble. And and, you know, the movie, I think, you know, we haven't really talked about Anakin much, but I think that, that one of the problems with the movie is it 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 tries to sell Anakin too hard. Like, yeah, he's a he's a cute kid. He's a he's a scamp. I mean, you know, the guy who played him is not a great actor, but uh, yeah, I would say he. I've seen kids playing with their toys more expressively. Yeah, and it, oh, let's turn to the left. R2, you know? Well, I think a lot of it, but, fra- I mean, frankly, you know, if actors of the caliber of Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor have yeah. a problem acting in this kind of environment, um, and frankly, acting to to imagine things in a green, uh, you know, in a green yeah. set, uh, I can't imagine that a 10-year-old actor is going to have a better time of it than, than they are. You know, and so yeah, I mean, that, that's part of it, I think. 
You know, Ewan McGregor is barely in this movie. Again, it's not his story. I yet, I, but... I I think that he was heavily medicated throughout the entire <laughs> thing. I mean, I, well... I, he doesn't he doesn't seem to to be aware that he's in a movie. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, there's a lot, you know, again, knowing that this is a prologue, um, Samuel L. Jackson has, like, two lines in the movie, you know, he, I know that he'll be gone into, you know, in, in later movies, this is just kind of his introduction, but, like, he's wasted, you know, wh- why did he bother showing up on set, you know, they could have gotten the same presence with a photograph, you know? Right. Well, you know, Liam Neeson, you know, again, probably the best actor in this movie, and, you know, most of the cast turns, is, you know, frankly, not a, it's not a terrible cast, but you know he's better than this movie. You know, you well, can every, see that. everyone yeah. is better than this yeah. movie. I mean, I think that the only person who turns in a, a pretty good performance, you know, is probably Natalie Portman. I think yeah. no, is that Natalie Portman? That is Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that she does an okay job in the movie. I think that you know, I, I don't really understand the whole switching. Of well, the that and that stuff. I mean, yeah. that was just you know, but that's complete that. Frankly, like, yeah, I, that that was something like I was like, wait, what? Like, you know, when, when at the beginning when she's like, oh, you know, oh, my handmaidens, you know, I'm the handmaiden, I'm coming with you, and I'm like, but that's that's Natalie Portman though, like, doesn't she play Queen Amidala? Like, right. you know, and then so then like for part of me, I was like, well, I know that you know Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman get together, like. I thought he got together with the queen, but maybe he just got together with the handmaid, like, and I misunderstood, like... Well, and also, frankly, I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that it's incredibly creepy, in a way. I mean, mm. Natalie Portman's supposed to be, I guess, like, in her early 20s, and she's, like... I thought a- she was supposed... Like, because I was, like, reading, and she's supposed to be, like, a t- very early teenager, like... See, that's the thing. It, like, it yeah. just seems weird. Like, she seems a lot older than Anakin, and the fact that they hook up later and conceive Luke and Leia is just creepy. I I mean, yeah, I I mean it doesn't. Yeah, that 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 either you know I I thought she was a lot younger than early twenties you know intended to be, and she was only supposed to be a few years older than it. But either way, I mean, either she's a really young to be ruling this planet, or she's really old to be having a crush with Anakin. Well, and there's just there's just weird things about the movie that don't make any sense and are only seem to only be there to confuse people, like the fact that she's the queen but she's elected. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, if you want to have like an interesting like, you know, I I'm all on board with like talking about like elected monarchies, but but again, in so, this movie, why well, why that, even introduce this idea? You're not going to do anything with it, and I'm just going to think about it for five minutes while something else is going on on the screen. It's the kind of thing where if this was a book, you'd you know mention you know the elected queen Amidala, and then you'd have like. Two Two paragraphs, you know, going in aside about, you know, on Naboo, you know, queens are elected for a period of at age 12, you know, and the and that kind of thing. And it's one of those, you know, science fiction info dumps that's so clumsy, but everybody loves, you know. Right, right. And that would be fine. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, Anakin is a problematic character because I don't know that anybody ever really wanted to see Anakin Skywalker as a 10 year old. And yeah, and, and, and he's, and he's a, he's a twerp. I mean, you know, and, and the problem he's is cute. That, he's a little moppet, you know, he's a sweet little kid. Yeah. Well, one of my, one of my problems with, I think, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in this movie and, and, and Qui-Gon probably more than Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan is supposed to still be a, um, what do they call it? A Padawan? Yeah. Uh, which is basically an apprentice, I guess that Qui-Gon kind of seems, and, and, and by extension, I think that the, the Jedi council, if I guess that's supposed to be the Jedi council with Yoda and the weird yeah, guy yeah, with yeah. the head and Samuel L. Jackson and all those people that 
they seem incompetent. Like Quagon is very drawn to Anakin. He makes a big point about saying he's the chosen one. Like you know, basically, yeah, basically, he's, like, it, he's supposed to be Darth and Jesus or something. Like you know, he's he's the the product of a virgin birth. We have like, to talk what? about that in a few minutes, but let's continue this point. And and the problem with it is like. Quagon is very drawn to Anakin and is, you know, feeling the force very strongly through him. And yet no one's picking up on the fact that Senator Palpatine is like the, the dark Lord, the, the dark Sith Lord. Like yeah. what, what is going on here? <laughs> I know. I, I mean, like it's see, here's the thing. It's like the movie is almost brushing up against the fact that everybody thinks Quagon's kind of nuts for fixating on this prophecy. Like this is, you know, it, it, it's the, I almost get the sense that this is the equivalent of, you know, this is a, you know, picture a university and, you know, professor says, you know, look, we got to take this kid, you know, I read it, you know, he's divinely prophesized to become nervous. Like that's ain't, that's an old prophecy that, you know, no one really takes seriously. Nobody believes or, you know, you know, is symbolic or, you know, there is not going to be a kid conceived by the force. That's impossible. You know, well, let's, let's, like, that's almost, you know, like, I think that would have been a more, you know, that being more of the reason behind why they're saying no to him, be like, no, this is one of your crazy ideas, you know, and well, let's talk about this because I, (laughs) I I think that it is a problem and I don't, I don't know exactly why it's a problem, but, but I think that, that in discussing it, we can maybe figure it out. So what, what do you make of this? So let me ask you. So, so there's these things called the mid Dechlorian. Sure. Which are supposed to be cells, which either, you know, show the presence of the force or conduct the force or have some kind of relationship to the force and right. stuff. And Qui-Gon believes that, you know, it, it, according to Qui-Gon, the number of midi-chlorians, you know, determines, you know, what your it, – it's basically what your force stats are, you know. Yeah. And – I don't – I mean, I, I will say I don't think that we're supposed to believe that just Qui-Gon believes that. I think that that's – Yeah, that's well, a general part, test. Part, part of the problem is – yeah, it's a general test. And I think part of the – you know, frankly, I think part of the problem with this is that it – you know, the force was always very vague and very mystical. And in this movie, they try and make it more concrete. And they try and say, yes, we have scientific tests to determine whether or not you are going to – you know, you have the capability yeah. to be a Jedi and blah, blah, blah. And it's like – why is this necessary? Like, number one, it just seems it seems unnecessary. It seems like it's sucking all the mystery out of it for no real reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only to, I guess, give us concrete proof that Anakin is a very powerful Jedi. But the- I guess that's I mean, would say that's actually how I feel about the Palpatine thing being an actual person. It's a similar. Sentiment, yeah, I would exactly. Say. But it's kind of like I think. Yeah, who it's, cares? It's more. Well, who cares? And I think it's more indicative of the fact that George Lucas as the writer of this movie, could not figure out a better way to get across the idea that Qui-Gon believes that Anakin is a strong force user. So he, he had to science it up. Do you, know what I, do you know what I mean? I mean, when, when which I think is funny because, you know, everybody's been able to tell that about Luke just by, you know, being near him. You know? It, yeah, I mean, it's very, you know... In in yeah. the original Star Wars, Obi Wan was not pulling out a, a, a device and saying, "Look at he your metachlorian levels." Yeah, he wasn't, you know, using a diabetes monitor on him. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, yeah, it seems almost like an aura thing. Like, you know, you can right. if you're sensitive to the Force. Luke is going to be radiating it out. You know, and and I mean, I will say, I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of Star Wars fans are just like livid at the very idea of metachlorians, and I, I mean, I don't really care, but I, I just think it's more interesting as a way to say, "Look at what the fuck, George Lucas." It's also, you know, 
we we talked very briefly at some point about science fiction versus science fantasy, and you know while that was a rabbit hole, we didn't necessarily want to go to. Star Wars is a lot more science fantasy, you know, we can do these, you know, Jedi mind tricks and, you know, we can force push people, you know, the right. force is magic. And here's, here's, here's the science fiction explanation behind it. Here's the science behind it when, you know, yeah, I, the, it, it takes away kind of the mysticism and the joy of it, you know, what, right. what, what I like about you know, Star Wars is that, you know, it is a world where anything can happen because, you know, there's magic in the world. You know, right. that, that's fine, you know. These aliens that we're seeing, they don't have to have any, you know, any practical biology. You know, the Sarlacc makes no sense. That doesn't matter, you know, because it's terrifying and it looks cool, you know. Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, Star Wars, again, is a fantasy movie. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't have to make sense. Um but I think that, that it's weird because, you know, they, they really try and sell the idea of Anakin as, as, as really, really important. And, and is he? Does, well, does well, the, does the... well, here's the thing. I mean, they go into this vaguely, this idea that there's some sort of prophecy about the chosen one. And it's revealed that Anakin is the product of a virgin birth. Whether or not you believe his mother or not, I mean, I don't think that the movie gives us any indication that she's lying, so we have to just accept it. Yeah, and you don't. it also doesn't give us the indication that she's, you know, simple or naive, you know what I mean? Like, she, she knows where babies come from and would have known, you know, if... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, someone's got to put her, their pee in her V, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I like to be dismissive of, of straight people because it's fun. Um, and, and so... You know, it's it's just kind of like it, it it's it's it it queers the movie in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, because and I don't mean that in a sexual well, way. I just mean like it, it makes, makes it, it bizarre. I mean, it's a it is a very you know the concept. Any any time you deal with a virgin birth, you are dealing with the Christian you know yeah. w- world myth and. You know, that that is an inescapable thing. Like, the second you mention that phrase, that's where you're going with. That's what you're doing a symbol of. And I don't think that anything else really deals with Anakin as either a Jesus figure or a twist on a Jesus figure. I don't think of him as an Antichrist figure. I don't think of him as a Satan figure, you know, in... I frankly, I think that George Lucas, you know, in this movie writing this script, has lost all sense of reality because what what I think is really going on here is, you know, we could sit and talk about what does it mean that Anakin is the chosen one, what does it mean that he's a virgin birth. Frankly, I don't think it means anything. It was a very and, yeah, it was and a- here's here's exactly what it is. It's George Lucas co opting, um, you know, a, a religious belief or a religious myth or however you want to characterize it a real one yeah. you know the christian the christian religion is based on this and the the catholic yeah. religion is based on this and is just co-opting this idea because it's a powerful one in our culture and is just saying here's it's a shortcut to tell us exactly why anakin is important see and, and that's I, I think that's all it's supposed to be but the problem with it is that it is so charged that you can't just introduce this kind of idea in a movie and just let it go. Like, let me, let, and he does. Let me put it this way. If Luke and Leia had been the product of a virgin birth, it would have made a lot more sense. Would it? I think so, because, frankly, Luke does end up, you know, restoring balance to the Force by defeating, you know, Darth Vader and the Emperor. Yeah, I suppose so. so. I mean, if, you know, there are... I, I, I don't think... I, I, I think putting that element into this mythology no matter what was a mistake but 
Anakin? Out of all the people in the character, out of everybody in the series who would be the project of a virgin birth, I would not have put money on Anakin. Like, right. I, that detail doesn't add anything, doesn't explain anything, gives me far more questions than Lucas possibly has answers. And I guess, you know, the problem with it is that you you can twist it into meaning something because Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi is the one who kills the Emperor and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And he goes back to the light side and suddenly he's happy and has hair again. But, you know, it... it it, you have to twist it. Is that all it you to, have to do? Because that's what I want here. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to kill the emperor. Um, so good luck with that. But but I think that it's just, you know, you're twisting the facts of, of the previous movies to make sense with this one. And, you know, frankly, what it all comes down to, I think what this entire conversation is coming down to is the fact that George Lucas just, just you know, the mashup of the mashup of everything that he's putting into this movie you know it worked in star wars because he was just he was number one he was constrained by technology and number two he was constrained by budget and he was constrained by a lot of factors and and in this one he's got sort of the 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 weight of star wars on him now and he really wants to make this some sort of profound statement about you know the, the trilogy and like the whole universe and how these characters interact and how they all come together and blah. And it just, none of it works. It just feels like a mess. Yeah, it's almost hilariously over the top, you know, that element, you know. It's, it's, oh God, he's trying to give this religious grandeur too. Like, come on, this wasn't enough, you know, now you have to add some, it's very pretentious. It is. It's a very pretentious thing. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to give this story some thematic weight by making him Christ. Yeah, in a way it is really pretentious and I think that's a good way to look at the movie. The whole movie is kind of pretentious. Like the beginning of it with the whole taxation and the trade federation and this is that, you know, it's like this is very important political stuff (laughs) going on and then you've got the whole stuff with Anakin being the virgin birth and it's this whole Christ allegory, you know, and and it's just none of it works. I mean, it's just Star Wars doesn't need to be important. Like, frankly, I, you know, it just it doesn't need to be important. Like, mm. it's it's fine for it to just be an entertaining good versus evil story. And, you know, I just kind of wish that that's all this had been. Yeah, I'm not sure if this movie knows what it is or what it's about. I mean, I think it's about, again, it's backstory. It's the story really hasn't happened yet. Right. You know, this is kind of how everybody meets, you know, and but it's. Trumped up to two, two and a half hours, you know, it was got this huge promotional release, every, every, it was marketed everywhere, and you know. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the running time, because the movie is too long. Oh my long. god. Like, I mean, it's two hours and 16 minutes long, for Christ's sake. I mean. How long is the pod racing scene? Because that was at least, by the halfway point, I was tired of it. I think that was 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, that was, it, yeah. was, it was pretty long, and, and it's just... The it's, action sequences at the beginning are redundant. You know, it feels like we have to see the same sequence, same sequence several times because, again, it's so easy to do. You just CGI it up. You I know? mean, at the end of the movie, when the queen is running around with her entourage, they get they get ambushed by droids at least twice, and they get out of yeah. it at least twice. I mean, the whole thing just feels like it, this movie needed to be edited down. The script needed to be edited down. I mean, they could trim twenty or thirty minutes out of yeah. this movie, and there would be no problem with that whatsoever. Um, all the Tatooine stuff is just kind of redundant. I mean, there's so much of this movie that just feels like George Lucas was trying to write a movie that was two hours long. I mean, yeah. you know, like there's no reason for it. I mean, this movie could have been an hour and a half and it wouldn't have been fine. And again, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there was a meanderingness to A New Hope 
that we liked, you know, where it was just I mean, I really like the Tatooine stuff in the original in the original Star Wars. Um, you know, we're we're just going to show you this planet and stuff that happens on this planet, but you know, those sequences as languorous as the pacing is, like a lot does happen, you know, we the, the Tatooine bit is the is First of all, R2-D2 and C-3PO lost. It's the Jawas. It's, you know, Luke and Uncle Owen. You know, it's meeting up with Ben. You know, there are a lot of yeah. subsequences within this. You know, here we again have a 15-minute pod race that just goes on and on. And, you know, could have been... We know Anakin is going to win this thing, you know, by the way. You know, there is no remotely no so surprise about this. Yeah, that's a good point. There's there's no dramatic tension to it whatsoever because of course Anakin is going to win because Anakin has to win. Yeah. Because you know we we know that Qui-Gon and Anakin and 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 uh, uh Obi-Wan get off the planet and go off and do other Jedi things because that's what happens. Yeah. You know, and I think what it what it really comes down to is you know the 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 special effects in the movie. I mean, George Lucas was obviously very enamored of them and I think some of them work better than others, but at the end of the day you know, the special effects are only as good as the dramatic kind of weight behind them. And especially the pod yeah. racing scene. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Why Why am I watching this for 15 minutes? There's there's no reason for it to exist other than he can do it. I mean, it that's rem- not a good enough reason. It reminds me a little bit of the speeder scene, at you know, in Return of the Jedi. But I liked that one because, number one, it's, you know, Leia and Han, two characters that we really care about by this point, you know. It's a it's a quick tight scene, and even that scene we thought was a little long. Well, but. and also in a, in, a, in a very very interesting parallel, I think that you know the the speeder chase scene in Return of the Jedi was also something that George Lucas wanted to do because of technology. I mean, the Steadicam had was yeah. invented, I think, in 19, the late seventies, I think, or early eighties. I mean, one of the first movies to actually use it extensively was uh, The Shining in nineteen eighty. Okay, and. The Steadicam made that speeder race possible, and in the same way, the pod race is only made possible because of the advances of CGI. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess, you know, and, and here's where the – because to me, I, you know, there is still an element of how the hell did they do that in the pod in – the, in the speeder scene? You know, it's so fast. It's so tight. It's, you know, so quickly done. It's, it's, it's very impressive, you know. The pod scene, well, they just drew it, basically. You yeah. Know? This yeah. is not, you know, not to say that, you know, CG is an easy thing, you know. I know No, I'm certainly not you know, saying that CG is easy. I'm certainly not saying <clears throat> that there's not artistry to CGI. I think that a lot of animated movies are, are great. But, but... I like the... Pr- I l- what I like when I see a practical effect is knowing that that existed and that was like real for a few minutes. Even if it was in a bunch of pieces, you know, that were put together, you know, in a studio you know i know that they made that model you know or that somebody crafted that or you know and yeah, yeah. i don't know that impresses me you know about that you know to know that you know well we just had jake lloyd sit in a in a chair and you know then everything else happened around <laughs> it's kind of like old movies where they had them driving the car yeah it's just you know rear projection <laughs> um let's talk about the other kind of big elephant in the room which is movie is kind of racist isn't it like well it, 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 it's it's weird like it, this movie doesn't really understand what slavery is i'm not even talking about that okay well we, i mean i'm talking about jar jar i'm um, talking about the trade federation guys like 
there's the accents involved. Okay, are bad yeah, choices. Hmm. Uh, I don't think. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I don't, I don't know that I have much of an opinion about Jar Jar being some sort of like you know Jamaican black you know fetch him guy. Um, there's, I think there's certainly some validity to that, but. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, um, uh, black scholars have said as much. I mean, there's, there's, you know, um, uh, professors of, of this that say that this is true, and I believe them. Um, I, I don't. I'm not, I don't. I don't have the. Um, I don't have the the, you know, the knowledge or the experience to really talk about this. But that said, Jar Jar Binks makes me uncomfortable. You know, it, it, yeah, you get the sense that they tried to, you know, they wanted him to be a goofy, you know, psychic character, but you know. He was drawn from some places that maybe should have been looked at. Right. Maybe, think, the, you know, I, I, I don't think George Lucas intentionally wanted to do, you know, that character, but he accidentally did it. Well, and, that's, you, know. you know, that's actually really, I think that's a really good point because, you know, with Return of the Jedi, you know, I think that we talked about sort of the unthinking misogyny of the time. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you know, I said, I remember saying this, that I don't think that George Lucas was sitting in his chair, rubbing his hands together and saying, ah, yes, I can make a misogynistic movie. You know, he's not doing that, but it's just this unthinking sort of thing that permeates the culture, right? And it's in the same way, I think that, you know, George Lucas is a man of a certain age and, you know, grew up in a certain time. And while I, 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 I have no evidence that George Lucas is a racist. I have no reason to believe he's a racist. I don't think he's a racist. I don't think he's actually sexist, although I don't know. But it seems unlikely. Frankly, if you told him he was, I think he would be surprised in her. You know, like, yeah. You know. But I think that the 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 problem here, of course, is that in the same way mm-hmm. that the 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 previous movies were sort of, you know, and again, there's unthinking misogyny in this movie because where are the female characters in this movie? You know, like there's not that many of them. Yeah, it's another um, one where Amidala is not. I mean, considering her age, she's not sexualized, you know, fine. She's, you know, seen from the beginning. She's a capable military leader. You know, she does, you know, is very brave, is very bold, you know, has, you know, if the plan she, you know, gets is very risky and, you know, depends on this, you know, million to one shot. Well, I mean, that's every plot in the Star Wars, you know, universe, you know, even less than Leia. She's, you know, not she's captured for about five minutes at the beginning of the movie. And then for the rest, you know, she's you know, coming up with her plan. So, I mean, right. you know, yes, you know, she is treated fine. She's not damseled. She's not turned into, you know, uh, but yeah, she's pretty much the only, uh, only woman in the movie. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the problem with that, I think the problem with, you know, Jar Jar, his accent, the way he acts, the way, you know, the words he's using, the, 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 the sort of generic, you know, Chinese, Japanese accent that it's, the trade they're yellow peril villains. Yeah, I think that the problem. I mean, Watto, the the flying alien on Tatooine, has been called a, a you know a Jewish character caricature, which I don't necessarily see, but you know whatever. I can um, see where you know. I can it, see why it's, it's, I, I it's can the see kind of people. thing. If he were the only character that you could say that whatever, I said, well, you know, maybe that's just reaching a little bit. But going with it, it's like this movie does feel a lot more dated than it wants to. And I mean, again, well, this- I, don't, I don't even think it's a dated thing. I think that the the real problem here is that you know, in the same way that George Lucas's creative impulses kind of take wrong turns, and he's very unthinking about a lot of this stuff. I think that he is looking at this and I think he's saying let's do this because it's going to be a nice harken back to the 40 serials and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff and it's like yeah but 
you need to think about what the context of this kind of thing is. You need to think about what you're putting out into the world in 1999. This is a very, very big movie. This is going to be pushed out to, you know, 5,000 theaters all around Uh the world or whatever the hell it is, you know, and this movie is going to live on. I mean, we're talking about this movie 16 years later. Star Wars is still a thing, right? And yet here we have the Phantom Menace being, I don't think it's racism. I just think it's, it's, you know, it, it, I, I, well, I think he's he, not thinking about he, what he's doing. And you that's put it this really way. Unfortunate. It's, it's pulling stuff. Yes. From the 40 serials. And yes, you know, the 40 serials, if you had, if you, it was a good thing to make, you know, what, you know, a plotting oriental villain, you know, you would do that in, you know, Buck Rogers or whatever. And, you know, that was an unfortunate thing of the times. And, you know, you can look back and say, well, that wasn't, you know, so you can look at these old serials and say, well, we wanted to get that sense of adventure, that sense of fun, that very black and white. Those are good things to pull out from that. You know, those are good things to put into your movie you're making, you know, 50 years later. The, you know, the yellow peril villains, that's not something we should take. You know, not maybe, really. maybe that wasn't the, you know. Not really. Not really. And, and it's just very, very, it's unnecessary. You know, a lot of this movie just feels unnecessary. For yeah, I, I'm trying to think what, 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 because even like, again, Return of the Jedi, I didn't quite love, but I like the, I like the Sarlacc pit sequence. I like the Ewok battles. You know, I like, there are bits of that, that even that I like set pieces. I'm trying to think of what I'm going to take from this movie with me. You know, I think that, that. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think that, that the pod race and Jar Jar, that's kind of it. I mean, and though, and I did, and those are, but those aren't good things. Those aren't like, you know, I would sit down and watch the speeder sequence, you know? Yeah. I would not sit down and watch the podcast. Po- the po- Damn Why it. do you keep saying that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think that, you know, and again, the end of the movie is fine. I think it works. All right. You know, I think that there's a lot of good, I mean, we haven't even talked about Darth Maul and the lightsaber. I was going to say, well, and- that's the thing. Like, Darth Maul is nothing in this movie. Yeah, there's like, no... He has two lines. He's not... I mean... The only reason Darth Maul exists is because they need to find a way to... You know, they put the line yeah. in there. You know, Yoda says that there's always a, there are only ever two Sith, a Lord and an Apprentice. Obviously, the Apprentice is dead now, and so he needs a new Apprentice, and Anakin Skywalker is yeah. going to be that. It's but setting it's, that it's, up. It's, but again, that's it's backstory. Not... This is... Darth Maul is the, is the boss of Disc 1. You know, yeah. he's, he's, and it's not telling us anything we don't already know. I mean, I thought that was fascinating that like, again, going as, as when it was at the time, Darth Maul's head was everywhere. And yes, it is visually, it's an effective design. It's a creepy looking thing, you know, fine. But like, he's in the movie for five minutes, you know, right. he has two scenes, which are okay there, but they're not, you know, he barely even talks. Yeah. And he doesn't say anything interesting, you know, right. Compare that to. Darth Vader, who, again, had about probably around the same amount of screen time a little more in the original Star Wars and grew to become one of the world's most iconic villains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, The Phantom Menace obviously is not a good movie. I think that there are a lot of problems with it. It's very sloppy. It's sloppily done, basically. And I think that, that you know, if this had not been riding on the coattails of the original trilogy. I, I yeah. don't know that anyone would really care about the movie that much. Uh, at the same time, I think that is it as bad as everyone says it is? No, I think, you know, I feel th- like, yeah, if you trimmed all the, if you trimmed all the fucking jar jar and cut another 20 minutes out of everything else, 
I think you would have a much tighter, much better movie. Yeah, and I think that the the problems with the movie that could not be fixed by cutting things out or recutting it uh, are just frankly problems with this type of you know elaborate yeah. CGI that actors just weren't used to. Um, I think a lot of the wooden performances in the movie come from that. I think yeah. you know you know again is it a, is it the best movie ever? No, but there's a lot of problems with it. But at the end of the day. It is what it is. You I liked, know? like I said, I I didn't think it had any plot to it. You know, I didn't think it. Well, I it thought had, it would it have has... been worse, but it was. It, it again, it had more of a plot than I expected. It was better than I thought, and I mean, I liked all of Amadala's dresses. They were nice. Uh, you could tell the costume department had a lot of fun making those, and they were. You know, it, it, it it's like when I'm seeing a uh, Luoxana Troy out. You know, episode. I know. Well, at least I'm going to see some really cool and wild clothes. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, too, I mean, the final the final shot of the movie is obviously harkening back to the final shot of Star Wars. That's fine. But you know, not they're as all, good. They're, well, no, it's not as good. But, you know, whatever. What is? The Phantom Menace isn't as good as Star Wars. I mean, I'm going to be honest. You show, me a, you show me a still of that scene at the end of Star Wars, I'm going to recognize it immediately. If you showed me this still, I would not recognize it. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know that that's that fair of a criticism of it. I, don't I mean, know. I think it's just supposed to be there as a nice little homage. I don't think it's yeah. anything more than that. It, it, it's it's just again on the it's a lesser movie. That's it. Yeah, it, 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 it's it used a lot of words to say nothing. Well, if you would like to use a lot of words or a few words to give your thoughts on The Phantom Menace, and I know all of the listeners out there must have thoughts about The Phantom Menace because everyone has thoughts about The Phantom Menace, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Trek About Presents at trekaboutshow.com. Also, our social media username is trekaboutshow, where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And please listen to our other podcast, Trek About, where we are now talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So what are we talking about next week on Trek About Presents? Shockingly enough, we're going to talk about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. So look forward to that. I am. Okay. <laughs>